Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Boyery, and as always, I'm with Cold War baby, Dr. Lucy Jones. Today's episode is sponsored in part by SoCal Gas, who is committed to building resilience in the communities it serves. We also thank our individual supporters through Patreon, who help underwrite the work of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center. Would you consider sponsoring this podcast for as little as $5 per month? Because your support enables us to serve even more communities. Simply go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search Dr. Lucy Jones. And now let's get to it. This week, experts say we're at the highest risk since the end of the Cold War for the use of a nuclear bomb. This is a time to look back at the history of nuclear weapons and their connection to the science of earthquakes, seismology. Lucy, you said that plate tectonics and seismic networks come from the nuclear programs of the 20th century. Yes. I mean, obviously, seismic networks existed before the nuclear bombs, but they were mostly focused on local earthquakes. And the only really global network was operated by the Jesuits in their monasteries around the world. When the United States dropped two bombs in Japan and thereby ended World War II, other countries that wanted power looked at this and knew they wanted that power too. So over the next 20 years, four countries, the United States, the Soviet Union, the United Kingdom, and France, developed nuclear weapons and tested them in the atmosphere, tested them underwater, and generated a large amount of nuclear fallout. There was enough radiation that that decade is a clear geologic marker, so clear that geologists have proposed using it to define the beginning of the Anthropocene, the age of humans. The only wartime use of nuclear bombs so far were the two bombs dropped by the United States on Japan in World War II. You just mentioned that. But every other bomb has been detonated as part of testing, as you describe it. Right. But just because it was a test, it still produced nuclear fallout. And people started to get pretty upset about the dangers from this. That pressure and the political fallout from the Cuban Missile Crisis led to the first treaty to restrict testing of nuclear bombs. That was in 1963, called the Partial Test Ban Treaty, and it banned explosions in the atmosphere, underwater, or in outer space. It still allowed underground testing because they saw that as having a greatly reduced impact from fallout, but also because we weren't sure if we could recognize a bomb that was exploded underground and we didn't want to ban something that we couldn't monitor. So how did all this shape seismology? Wanting to be able to monitor those underground tests, the only way to do it is to look at the seismic waves generated by the explosion. But what's the difference between waves generated by an earthquake or by a bomb? The waves are really the same. It's the source that is different. And so we needed to determine what we could tell about the source from the waves. And we've talked about waves before and how they impact earthquakes generally in the study thereof. What is the difference between the earthquake and the bomb in terms of measuring them though? Well, think about it. When a bomb explodes, it pushes out the ground in every direction. Everything moves away from the bomb. When a fault moves, one side moves in one direction and the other side in the opposite direction. So when a seismic wave travels out from one of these sources and passes by a seismic station, the very first motion that we see at the station will be in the direction generated back at the source. In a bomb, the first vertical motion will be up because everything moved away from the bomb. While for an earthquake, there will always be a mix of directions. This assumes, of course, that you can see all the directions, which means you need to have enough seismic stations distributed around the world to be able to do this. 
Now, there were a few times when maybe you didn't have enough stations or the fault had a weird orientation where you could imagine that everything you saw looked like it was up. There were some other things that have been developed. In fact, it was a whole field. Discrimination seismology always had its own sessions at the meetings that I would go to. The biggest one was about frequencies because the source of a bomb is really quite small. Everything radiates out from a point, whereas the source from an earthquake is the fault. And on a big earthquake, that's a really long distance. So we saw more long period motions in the earthquakes than in the bombs. And there were a whole set of things developed around that to help aid in discrimination. Let's go back to the band, though, because in order to do the measurements that you described, you need to have a lot of seismic stations that had to be installed that didn't already exist. How did that work when some of the countries that were being monitored, part of this ban and testing, may not have been friendly to the U.S., who had a driving interest to make sure that was done? Right. So the first seismic network was called the Worldwide Seismic Station Network, WWSSN, and they wanted stations around the world. And all of our friendly countries would go along with it. We had stations put in in Japan and Taiwan, out in the Aleutian Arc of the Alaska, Antarctica. You also had countries that wouldn't let it happen at first. Over time, more and more countries joined in and added station to this. What was really important, though, about the WWSSN, at least from the viewpoint of a seismologist, is that the data from all of these stations was publicly available. And so big departments in seismology, like Caltech, would buy copies of this database, which at the time involved microfiche copies of the seismograms. We literally would go and pull out these little film chips and blow them up and read it off it. But it was a revolution for seismology to now have coverage around the world and contributed much of the data that proved that the theory of plate tectonics was actually true. And you could say that all seismologists learned to love the bomb, as we used to say, at least a little. 1974 saw a change in this situation. That was when we had a step towards the comprehensive test ban and was called the Threshold Test Ban Treaty, ratified by both the United States and the Soviet Union, which banned underground tests with yields above 150 kilotons. So now the bombs had to be kept smaller, and that was something that we could monitor with the seismic stations. 150 kilotons, about how big of an earth, quote, earthquake would that produce? It was about a magnitude five and a half. So something that was right around five would fit within it. And it meant that we had to make sure we could record every five and a half anywhere in the world to be able to monitor the test ban treaty. So how often were these tests actually happening that seismologists then had to decipher? The threshold test ban treaty didn't stop testing. Caltech has the biggest seismic array that's near the U.S.'s test site in Nevada. And when I first came to Pasadena in the 1980s, we were recording a nuclear test in Nevada many times a year, sometimes once a month. In fact, we relied on them to calibrate our new stations. If the stations didn't show an up first motion, we knew the wires were crossed. And these tests continued into the 1990s, even though plenty of people were saying there really wasn't any need anymore. It was sort of a way to demonstrate, yes, we have our nuclear weapons and we know how to use them. It wasn't until the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty was passed in 1997 that all testing ended, at least in the countries that signed that treaty. India and Pakistan didn't, and they each conducted two tests in 1998, not since then, North Korea is the only other non-signatory, and they've conducted seven tests since the treaty went into place. Are we really sure about that, that no other testing has been done? Is that really clear to us? 
It is. Seismology developed all of these techniques along with developing plate tectonics and all our other information from those seismograms. And we created what's called the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty Organization in Vienna. It runs many different types of monitoring, seismic, but also various other ways to detect atmospheric testing and radiation release. So that scientists really can tell what has been done. And the only country that has done any testing in the last 20 years is North Korea. Coming back to this week, it's great to know that experts know when tests happen globally and what's really happening when a bomb is detonated. But I'm not sure how reassured I am about North Korea or about what's happening in Ukraine. Right. You don't need to test to be able to use a bomb. But I think that looking back at this history is a way of remembering that even though we are talking about nuclear weapons this week for the first time in a long time, we have come a long way as a global community towards restricting their use and development. And we haven't gotten rid of them, and the risk is painfully clear this week. But the global attitude towards their use is very different than it was in my childhood. Well, let's leave it there for now. And until next time, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you, Getting Through It. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a supporter at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee, and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones.